With Bitcoin, lives and money are at stake. Interruption of its service can cause a cascade of losses and unintended consequences for potentially millions of people and billions of fiat dollars. If it is possible to build a Bitcoin that cannot fail, that should be the goal, and no compromise should be acceptable. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a great read today. This is actually one I've already done. So this is a reboot um, uh, from way back as read 254 on this show. So, you know, 400 odd episodes back or reads back, probably five or 600 on the episode side. But this was a really important one, and actually, hats off, uh, my brother um, uh, recommended that I reboot this one because this is a really, really important kind of foundational topic and how to think about Bitcoin, especially when there's so much arguing over like what features it should have and whether we should implement drive chains and CTV, like all this, you know, like how should lightning work, all this stuff, right? Is it like we're going to just develop this kind of app layer sort of stuff that's just going to, as long as we have the right op code, as long as we've fixed Bitcoin and fixed the security, the long-term security budget and all of this stuff, well, then we can get all the things that we want and we'll have all the apps and all the features that we need. And I think that's a, we've kind of let the framing get away from us. And I think it's incredibly important to remember where Bitcoin is in the layers of this system, so to speak, and how we should be thinking about engineering at the Bitcoin layer. And this was always when it's this one's by Beauty on, and it's always been a real favorite of mine to kind of demonstrate the stark contrast between crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, it's another one that there's there's kind of an underlying philosophy of how and what even to build that is really divergent between the two communities. And this will be really important for tomorrow's discussion or the next episode or the next guy's take that I've got coming. It might not be tomorrow. I don't don't know. It depends on how long it takes me to put all my thoughts together on it. Um, But it's another one in the FUD. We're going back to the FUD series. And then we'll also be going back to the basic series. I haven't dropped that or felt like I've finished that or anything. I just... Hadn't got back to it till very recently. So uh, guys take 71 will be the next guys take will be, but Bitcoin doesn't innovate because it's funny. I actually think the way, the way I think the proper framing is the very notion of that question basically argues with itself because the question is what layer of innovation? Cause you know, usually they're talking about, it doesn't have the right, it doesn't have the app I want or the feature that I want. And so it's, It's actually more fundamental to the question of like, what are you considering an innovation? And this article is so important as context for that discussion. So I think it's really, really good to bring this one back, especially for anybody who hasn't read it or listened to it. Uh, This one, I think, is it goes into the prerequisites batch. Like if I had to pick like 40 episodes or reads or something that just like you just need to listen to to kind of get the big picture of Bitcoin, 
this would 100% be in it. So if you haven't heard Beautyon's Bitcoin and software reliability, well then, you are welcome because you are about to hear it. Really quick, I just want to thank our amazing sponsors. The show is brought to you by Nodeless.io, the easiest way with no subscription, no obligation, no KYC, to just go set up so that you can plug in and receive Bitcoin on your web front, your donation page, anything like that. And it's also the easiest way to get 10,000 sats from me by just going to set up a donation page with like a couple of clicks and then tagging me in the link when you post it on social. That's right. I will literally give you 10,000 sats. Use my link at bitcoinaudible.com slash nodeless. It's right there in the show notes. Shouldn't be hard to find. This episode is also brought to you by Fold. It is a debit card, not a credit card, not a credit card where you pay interest to them and then they give you a little bit back and like, you know, airline points or cash back or whatever it is. Well, you paid them interest. So yeah, they're going to give you some of it back. This is a debit card, a debit card that pays you sats back. So if you use like the PayPal bill pay trick, you can get cash back or maybe even sats back with your credit card and then pay off your credit card with the PayPal bill pay using your debit card and get more sats back. This is the magical power of Fold. The ability to have a cheat code where you're just getting sats for all of the things that you do in your fiat life. Check it out at bitcoinaudible.com fold. And then lastly, you're going to get, you got to keep it safe. You want to, you want just the coolest hardware wallet that there is. And that's the cold card. And maybe it's just because I'm partial to NFC and I like the fact that it's like all cypherpunky, but it is really just a phenomenal hardware device, a security device, a place to use and keep your Bitcoin safe. It's a no brainer. Go to bitcoinaudible.com slash cold card. Oh yeah, Bitcoin Audible gets you 9% off, by the way. Discount code. That don't, don't forget discounts. It'll be in the show notes. All right. And with that, let's get into today's article. And it's titled, Bitcoin and Software Reliability by Beautyon. A small group of disgruntled people who feel left out of Bitcoin's meteoric rise complain that Bitcoin's developers add new features to its basic toolkit, quote, too slowly, and the innovation on it has stagnated. It is not true that Bitcoin is stagnating. Bitcoin is the fundamental backbone of the missing infallible payments layer of the internet. In order for it to be infallible and totally reliable, there is only one possible approach to maintaining and extending the software that governs it. The mindset and approach needed is not many quick iterations and break things mentality. Instead, what is needed is the thinking behind super high uptime software, where methodical, slow, evidence-based improvement cycles are employed and where features are added only when it is proven that stability, compatibility, and integrity are absolutely guaranteed. This is not a new approach in software. Mission-critical systems and applications where life and death are at stake opt for vendors who are very conservative and focused on stability and reliability. These systems have uptimes, the amount of time a system is available without interruption, measured in years. Visa's recent downtime shows that they are not running systems built to this high and exacting standard, and Bitcoin shows that it is built to this standard, with its uninterrupted, infallible, and continuous service measured in years. Bitcoin isn't an operating system, 
but the principles of fault tolerance and careful extension apply nonetheless. The to the moon meme provides a useful context. NASA's software fault tolerance requirements are very strict. When astronauts are involved, their lives are at stake. Break stuff in that context means kill people. The software simply must work every time. No compromise, no guesswork, no exceptions. There are no do-overs or rollbacks. Guaranteed performance is possible in software because everything about the systems, including the hardware, can be known in advance and thoroughly tested. High fault tolerance software development has been going on for decades. It is a very well understood discipline and the practices, methods, and mentality are also established and known to work. This is why regular satellite launches work exactly as expected every time. People take them for granted, but there is a culture behind the processes that make regular flawless space launches possible that needs to be applied to Bitcoin if it is to serve everyone as is hoped. It is not unreasonable to expect Bitcoin to never have an error in its operation. This expectation is already understood to be achievable in air traffic control systems, where once again, lives are at stake. With Bitcoin, lives and money are at stake. Interruption of its service can cause a cascade of losses and unintended consequences for potentially millions of people and billions of fiat dollars. If it is possible to build a Bitcoin that cannot fail, that should be the goal, and no compromise should be acceptable. It is also clearly possible that a distributed Bitcoin with that characteristic can exist. Bitcoin can be absolutely fault-free and distributed at the same time. In fact, any centralization of Bitcoin into data centers increases the probability of critical faults. For certain, there is a math function to describe this. Can you write it out? The exam question would be something along the lines of, if Bitcoin is run from a single data center and the data center goes offline, Bitcoin goes down. If Bitcoin is in two data centers and one of them goes offline, Bitcoin stays up. Describe a function that explains this, showing the number of data centers in relation to the probability of Bitcoin going down, where going down means Bitcoin is totally inoperable. Extra marks for providing a graph of the function. Bitcoin is not a social network or a chat app. It is a mission-critical software project that has greater integrity than any financial software project in history, in both senses of the word integrity. It never goes down, is always available, and is absolutely predictable. All other projects next to it pale in comparison. It is a solid foundation to build against, more solid, in fact, than the operating systems used to build the services that take advantage of it. The vast majority of tool builders are not held to the standards that NASA and mission-critical, highly available systems are held to. It is a special discipline that most people are unaware of. Participants who are not even software developers at all have no clue about this specialist field, let alone the expert field of software that isn't life-or-death fault-tolerant itself. That field is two times removed from them and is not a part of their thinking at all. The more you look at what Bitcoin has achieved, how specialized its disciplines and requirements are, the number of things outside the software realm that constrain its operation, like the speed of light, the more you're astonished that it has even happened. 
and the more you want to stay as far away as you can possibly get from its inner workings if you are sane. This doesn't mean that you can't build on Bitcoin as an ordinary developer. On the contrary, its APIs are easy to understand and build against. What you cannot do, however, is enter the radiation zone, where unseen problems can literally irradiate and kill you. The speed of light is a perfect example. There is an upper limit to the block size beyond which the Bitcoin network cannot stay in sync. Because it takes time for data to move across the network, the speed of light is a limiting factor. You can't have blocks of a size that are beyond that limit and have Bitcoin as a distributed network. The obvious question is, what is that magic block size number? It is certainly a function of the fastest possible network transmission speed, which is very much slower than the speed of light in air. Normal fiber optic cable transmits light at one-third the speed of light, which suggests another exam question. Calculate the largest theoretical block size the Bitcoin network can manage and maintain a distributed peer structure if it were running on a perfect fiber optic network where the connections between all nodes run at half the speed of light over a geographic area the size of the Earth. Any node on the network must be a maximum of one microsecond behind any other node at any time during normal Bitcoin operation. This is the sort of question big blockers don't ask and don't have the math to answer. New ultra-thin photonic bandgap rim mode division multiplexing fiber optic cable can transmit light at 99.7% of C, but it will take decades to replace all the quote, slow fiber optic cable globally. For now, Bitcoin must operate within the constraints we have today. This matter of speed constraints is a question high-frequency traders have already posed and found a solution to. Put everything in one data center. Excerpt. A new study from MIT is getting attention for its central thesis, that the speed of light is becoming a bottleneck for high-speed financial traders seeking to execute trades in microseconds on a global scale. The paper is discussed this morning at PC World via the link Inside HPC. Recent advances in high-frequency financial trading have made light propagation delays between geographically separated exchanges relevant, write authors Alexander Wissner-Gross and Cameron Freer. This means that traders who are competing against each other buy rack space in specialist data centers where their boxen can execute trades with the equipment of other traders. This is not acceptable for Bitcoin, obviously, because it exists outside of the state and its regulations. High-speed trading data centers are all, quote, compliant and regulated. Bitcoin is not regulable. It can never exist in a data center without losing its force of nature characteristic. This is not to say that Bitcoin is in opposition to anything. The rain, wind, and snow are not in opposition to crops, roads, or your vacation. They simply are, just as Bitcoin is. Putting Bitcoin in a data center is like trying to put lightning in a Leyden jar. It isn't lightning anymore, but static electricity. Decades from now, when fiber optic cable runs at near light speed, it may be possible to increase the block size and do other things that take advantage of the inevitable improvements in hardware and software. Certainly, as Bitcoin unleashes the forces of the free market, these innovations will come faster than they would have under the fiat currency-fueled state. For now, however, Bitcoin must exist inside the constraints imposed by today's technology, and it will be enough to change everything. This episode is brought to you by the Cold Card Hardware Wallet. 
plus all of the awesome stuff that they have at CoinKite, actually. The Open Dime, the Block Clock, the Tap Signers, the Sats Cards. And in fact, the Sats Card, I haven't really talked about that much. It's basically like a reusable cash. It's like a, a, a refillable Open Dime. So you can put Bitcoin on it and it's basically like, like a bill. Like you can just give it over to the next person and they're the only one that has it. It's cash. It's Bitcoin as a form of cash in a card that just like sits in your wallet. And they've added so many of these. There's so many, like the artwork and all this stuff is just so cool. And this is also another great reason for the Tap Signer. The Tap Signer is the kind of more functional hardware wallet version of it rather than it being cash. And I'm a huge fan of the Tap Signer just because of nunchuck and nfc but the cold card does that as well i kind of think of the cold card as my like hardcore savings and the one that i'm not going to spend out of a ton and then i carry my tap signer with me for my kind of travel multi-sig the stuff that i just want to pull out and just you know work with really really quick because i don't have to i don't have to turn on my tap signer it doesn't require power it doesn't have a menu anything like that i just i literally if i want to sign for a transaction in nunchuck uh, and I just go with my tap signer, just put my card on the thing. It sends it through NSC, signs it, sends it back, and then I can send the transaction. Honestly, it's such a clean system and I just love the way it works and I love the way these products. I'm a huge fan of CoinKite. I have been for a very, very long time. And there's a reason why I have gone through, I don't know how many different wallets and mobile setups and stuff for, I don't know, 12 years now in the Bitcoin space. There's a reason why I am using Nunchuck and Cold Card and the Tap Signers today because I just think it's the most secure and cleanest setup that I have used. So if you want to join me, if you want to check it out and uh, you want to get your Cold Card if you don't have one or a Tap Sign or any of the other things, do not forget that I have a discount code for you guys. Bitcoin Audible, just the name of this podcast, all one word, gets you 9% off. And go look, if you check for the other codes, they only get you 5% off. Use my code, 9% baby. The link and the details will be there in the show notes. So check them out. All right. So this was a great piece, uh, one that I always liked. And it's short. It's not long. Um, and But it, it really hits home a point that I think is so important to stress is to understand that the people coming into the space, when you think about the user of Bitcoin, is that this is exactly why you separate out these functions and the how things are being built in layers for the the reliability of the system itself. You know, imagine if you know for all the networking problems that we have of like this thing got disconnected or this VPN has a bug and I can't like get something to connect right or the HTML or the JavaScript is like hung up. Like think of all of the things that in the stack of internet software you have problems. Happens all the time. Apps crash, you have to reboot an operating system, all of this crap. But imagine if like even, even just one out of a hundred thousand of these operations your, the IPV, the the TCP IP protocol had some sort of a failure or an error and you had to reboot your modem or you had to troubleshoot all the way down to that layer. We so incredibly take for granted the fact that the base internet protocol just works and that we haven't even changed it in 30 years. But it does. It just works. And even if you had this one out of 100,000, think about the fact that you would never, anything that you ever built on top of it 
would always run into that problem. One out of 100,000 times. That would be the best performance you could ever get out of a global communications protocol, a global communication system. You would have to expect for that level, you would never be able to get more reliable, a more reliable system until you just fundamentally replace the base protocol. You would have to redesign it and re-implement. You'd lose all your infrastructure because you'd have to, you know, somehow make it compatible because you would inevitably be non-compatible with the the broader internet protocol. In the same way, Bitcoin's reliability, this the the hardened nature, the the extreme conservatism and the philosophy and understanding of these things as a foundational layer as building blocks to build payment layers, to build apps, to build features. These are the tools. These are the gears, not the things that you directly interact with. And I think so much of crypto and just that general mindset, the big blocker mindset, um, which I think is just kind of the same incorrect framing, in a sense, in, in my thinking, is that the things that are being implemented should be the things that the users interact with, should be the, the features and the, uh, the use cases that the app wants, that the user wants to tinker with. They want digital frog trading cards and, you know, all of this stuff that just has nothing to do with the foundational layer, has nothing to do with the operation layer, with the mission critical, everything breaks if this breaks sort of design thinking this is why you extract that like anything that gets implemented at the base layer should almost universally not have some sort of a it shouldn't pop up as like a new option or a new toy in any of your clients the clients should simply be able to utilize it after much testing and engineering and designing on top of these things to make the operation of the general the general client or the general wallet more efficient and more streamlined but you shouldn't directly see it you know taproot isn't something that would just like pop up into an app and then you click on it and suddenly you have all these wing digits and gadgets and you know fun stuff and you can trade paypay cards that's not what taproot is taproot is a signature primitive it's a it's a it's a new way to do the signature and the script such that you can be deeply efficient at the base layer and you can have more privacy at the base layer, but it's an engineering tool. It's only supposed to be used by serious engineers because it's built by even more serious, more conservative engineers that are trying to think about this in the context of this can never fail. This can not once in no condition can this not work. If that occurs, then we have a serious problem because we have a distributed network that could just cascade and node crashes. And even with that mentality, even with all of the eyes and all of the reviews and the, the degree of fighting that goes on about even getting simple changes and simple backwards combat compatible things added into the software, even with all that, there are still, still bugs that could have gotten exposed. I mean, luckily they were they were edge case enough that none of them really got exploited. But there have been like two or three pretty significant bugs in Bitcoin's history, and even back in I think it was 2013 was the rollback or 2011. I don't know, but there was a rollback of like 23 blocks or something like that. They took like a half a day because there was an inc- an accidental fork, and that was actually one of the like fundamental things to to kind of set the precedent of how we think about the reliability of this because people consider that like 
the the last time that there was any kind of an, any kind of an uptime issue with Bitcoin. And I guess it makes sense. I guess you can claim that from the side of the reference client, the clients that had to roll back, like the most recent updated ones, because it was like a a, a recent version that were like a couple back where there was some sort of a bug that caused an accidental, you know, miss alignment between the two different client versions between what was a valid block and what wasn't so in a sense you could argue that the it wasn't an uptime problem so much as it was a something that interrupted and greatly slowed down the production of blocks for the chain that remained valid and then they actually had to roll back the I mean, you can call it an uptime. I think I usually think of it more as like the nodes actually crash and there's no communication happening and you're having to like reboot systems all over the globe to like get this network back up and then this problem could arise again. I mean, that sort of a thing would be absolutely catastrophic. Granted, this issue was technically catastrophic at the time, but it was such a small network and, you know, people were still, uh, it was such a small community that everybody was kind of had like a direct line communication with each other. And I think it was like 70% of the hash power within a pretty short time was able to reverse course and be like, okay, let's go back to this. Let's, let's downgrade our clients and then we'll make sure that the, the entire network stays in consensus and the fork no longer happens or the fork just gets abandoned essentially. But that was a huge precedent set because it showed that whatever feature or whatever even though it was an arbitrary difference like it wasn't a detrimental thing in the sense that like nodes were crashing or anything it was it was just an accidental fork which i mean that's still a big deal but it's also establishing that we hold consensus above the features above the upgrade above the perceived oh this is the better way to do it if it breaks consensus then we fundamentally lost something absolutely crucial to the nature of what this even provides and that's where i think so much of the disconnect is is even understanding what the value case like what is it what value is bitcoin providing and it's providing a mission critical foundation for any and all payments payment networks you know this is one of the early sentences one of the very uh, beginning sentences in this article i thought was just a great it's such a great way to put it because you understand that the blockchain the time chain like bitcoin system is not a good you you basically admit that it's its role is as the consensus layer and the bandwidth that the system has the bandwidth that is required at the consensus layer is indirectly at odds it's it's well, actually that's that's not even the case it's proportionally at odds like it's it's directly in opposition to its ability to achieve consensus consensus is harder if there's a lot more bandwidth a lot more storage and a lot more computation or ex well not only is consensus harder but consensus is um more limited it is less secure because fewer people are participating in the consensus what you want is as many people as possible to be participating so that they can set the rules for themselves and then the the overarching the entire bitcoin system can basically reach consensus because everyone is individually consenting to what is the most reliable longest running like like, like the just the bitcoin doesn't change set of rules it's how you can have a shelling point that trumps any potential any uh, political or social power or influence as much distribution as possible then consensus is independent then you have a situation where bitcoin just is like beauty on says in this thing but the the line that i 
thought was so great was, quote, Bitcoin is the fundamental backbone of the missing infallible payments layer of the internet. So there are three things in this single sentence that I think is extremely important to recognize and put as the proper mindset is one, the payments layer of the internet, the infallible payments layer of the internet still isn't there. Bitcoin is not that. Bitcoin is the infallible consensus layer for the money that makes the infallible payments layer possible to begin with. And it is the mission critical uptime that if we actually want to funnel, if we actually want to be able to produce that infallible payment layer, if we want to have a huge global distributed permissionless censorship resistant uh, sovereign ownership payments system or set of payment systems and payment layers that actually work, you better have a monetary consensus this hard, it's f***ing diamond. The amount of complexity, the amount of features, the amount of bandwidth, the variation in what sort of privacy or sort of security that you would want, the, the huge ocean of differences that we will have in our payment systems. Like all of these possible features should not be built into the base layer because all they are going to do is add staggering amounts of complexity. The consensus layer needs to manage consensus and anything even potentially gets in the way of that, needs to be figure out whatever base tool, if we do need some sort of a critical tool to really enable kind of the, the golden egg, the creme de la creme of some sort of already understood and brilliant payment system design. And we need some very simple, easy to prove, easy to verify, and backwards compatible option for the base layer a, a fundamental tool, kind of like a production tool for the goods, products, and services layer to use, then it needs to beat the living hell out of it for five years to ensure that that primitive is in fact safe, as safe and as reliable as anything can possibly be to the point that, yes, we should expect it to be guaranteed that it will always work and it will never break because it's Bitcoin. If, if, if that's not how we treat the base layer, we're just going to lose it. There's no other end game. This is one of the major reasons why, despite Ethereum's meteoric rise, despite all the crypto, despite all the everything, the apparent like vibrancy of its ecosystem, I could just never be convinced because I just think they are starting from such a profoundly wrong mindset that they've just got a timeline. They've just, they've just set themselves an expiration date. And it might take 15 years, it might take 20 years to get there, but I just see no longevity in it. It's too complicated, it's too resource intensive, and there are so many trends against the fundamental thing that it needs to solve in order for, in order, in order for all of the other stuff to even be worthwhile. Just like the IPv thing is like, if you want something that has infinite uptime, if, IP, if the IP addresses fail one out of 100,000 times, well, then it doesn't matter how much you'll never get one that does it one out of a million because you fundamentally have to do the IP addresses first. And the trends on so many of the Ethereum, the fundamental pieces of that puzzle seem to be going in the wrong direction. And this is always what I assumed because they took the Google approach of build fast and fast and break things. So they have lots of shiny crap, but fundamentally they have a far less sound foundation. And on a long enough timeline, way less will be built on it for the pure and simple fact that they'll run out of being able to add new layers. The underlying pieces won't be reliable enough. 
and they'll be forced into, you know, this massive amount of technical debt and they'll still have to hard fork later on, which will be such a nightmare for all the systems on top of it, all the apps and the DeFi and all this crap on top of it that might actually, you know, the level of complexity and layers and what could go wrong just compound on each other. So if you don't have a fundamental base, if you don't have a foundation of this thing that is that is diehard, that just literally cannot be broken, then it's just going to break eventually. But it also, at the same time, it also makes very intuitive sense why people wouldn't understand that. That they wouldn't even know that this, I, this sort of like highly specialized field was even out there. It's not like anybody's ever interacted with that software, like the integrity, you know, mission mission critical OS like it doesn't even do anything else like that operating system like that base software that does you know a NASA uh, does a rocket or you know lands on the moon literally is going to have like an explicitly built path it's not even going to do general processing it's going to do one thing at when one set of processes and one set of contingencies that are all perfectly mapped out so that there are no other places where it can go and buffer overflow or requests that can happen outside of what it exactly knows it you know can enter into this space it's not going to have apps it's not going to have an app store and be connected to the internet hell no because if it ever stops working everybody dies this is how bitcoin is we're talking about a foundation for the world the global financial and monetary system it cannot fail it cannot have downtime we can't just like have it have to reboot the whole globe for a day. When you were talking about tens of millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people relying on this thing, you were legitimately talking about thousands, maybe tens of thousands of deaths when there's a day downtime for something like that. Every single, oh, well, this might be an edge case, you know, situation, or somebody might need to pay for something immediately, or something has to be turned on, or something streaming sats, and you know, this this whole service or this computation is even available. When when you enter the space of billions of people, when you enter, when we're talking about the whole globe, every edge case exists all the time. And when something breaks for seconds, for minutes, there's no escaping it. Something like that having a problem. When we discuss a hyper Bitcoinized world where we want to be. You're talking about a global tragedy if infrastructure like that ever shuts down. It would be the equivalent of the power going out all across the world, or better yet, the internet. The internet's a great example. We keep relying on it more and more and more. And if the internet goes out, if the internet went out globally, it would be a disaster. You'd be talking about just an enormous amount of death because so many of our systems, like fundamental systems, completely rely on it. And there's people who are... There's just whole portions of the population that right now, for some reason or another, or maybe just because they're in like some highly complex system, you know, they're in a plane or something like that. Like the, the amount of like edge cases where if something stops working, yeah, people die because you're in just an extremely high risk situation anyway. And the systems that keep it running are so complex and, you know, multi-layered that if you start talking about like ripping the foundation out of a lot of these things, I mean, just think about the number of hospitals. Like if all if all the power went out along the world or all the Internet went out and like things didn't get delivered, people couldn't be shipped up. You couldn't make a phone call to get somebody picked up in an ambulance. Think about how many people would die just because they, they didn't have the communication medium that they had to to prevent what was a preventable death. Now, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I think like, this is the this is the framing that we should be thinking about. 
you know, if we're arguing about opcodes or how to put PayPays and shitcoins into an opcode at the base layer, we've completely lost the plot. That's a discussion about an app, about a toy. You know, if you go into a manufacturing plant that is smelting metal to go into every product under the sun, it's nothing but huge machines and it's nothing but enormous amounts of energy. And when those sorts of things fail, when the big thing of molten metal falls over, everybody in the room dies. When you go up to, when you would go into a system like that, nobody would go around and be like, well, where do I stick my trading cards in it? That's not what it does. That's not its job. That's not the layer that it exists at. That's where you build the structural steel needed to build the building that you go into that houses the cafe and lets you play with your stupid trading cards. The trading card game is like four steps removed. You have to have the metal for the printer to print the damn things. And that's why I think this is the critical, this is such a critical framing for it will be for tomorrow's episode where we kind of extend or, or the guys take episode uh, after this again I'm, I'm not sure exactly when i'll publish um but in discussing what what people think about like what what is the framing when people say bitcoin doesn't innovate bitcoin is not doing any innovation it's not got any of the cool new stuff because that framing that context is critical critical to even make an assessment of what innovation is it is involved in at all so if we can't even agree on what innovation means, is it PayPay cards? Is it tokens? Is it DeFi tokens? Or it is, a, is it a signature scheme that lets you compress all of the scripting data by like 98%? Or is it an opcode that lets you commit the transaction locked to a hash of exactly how it must later be spent? And what can you do with those two things in combination? Now those two things might seem very simple, but they're building blocks. Too much of this space, too much of crypto, too, many, too much of the people who come into this don't, I don't think have the proper framing and they start looking for, it's like Legos. It's like Legos, right? Is that we're talking about what can you fundamentally do with the Lego pieces and what can you build new that doesn't make it incompatible with all the rest of the Legos, even though we might want something very special or something very particular. And the users come in and they're like, where's my starship? Where's my, where's my, you know, Millennium Falcon? Where are my little Star Wars Lego pieces and lightsabers? While the Bitcoin engineers are talking about, okay, well, we can have a two-piece, you know, a two-prong Lego thing. We can have a really long Lego thing. And then we can have one that's slanted at like a 45 degree. And then another one that's slanted even more gradually. And then the users are coming in. And it's like, what? This is stupid. I want a Millennium Falcon. When the reality is, is those slant pieces is exactly what lets you make all of those big complex things like a spaceship out of Legos and actually look good. So anyway, that's what we're going to expand on. And I think this will be great context and is always a fan, uh, favorite piece of mine uh, for our coming guys take on that uh, busting the FUD that Bitcoin doesn't innovate. So we will close this one out. Thank you to Beautyon for that piece as always. Um, I'll have the links, uh, all the goodies in the show notes, so you can check this out, and you can obviously follow Beauty on and see his other writings. Um, and a huge thank you to CoinKite uh, for the cold card hardware wallet, the Tap Signer, and all of the great hardware devices, the Fold Card and their debit card that gives me sads back on freaking everything, and the Nodeless for making it easy to plug Bitcoin into my online life. I'm a huge fan of what these companies and projects are building, and it's awesome to have them uh, support Bitcoin Audible. So with that, 
Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. And until then, everybody, take it easy, guys. The only real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust